should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Happy Tuesday. And it is Tuesday, October 11th, which means it's almost mid-October which means then Halloween is like two weeks away. <laughs> I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and yes, it is Tuesday, so John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hello, John. Hi, Michelle. I love the Halloween costume you're wearing. <laughs> you, know, you guys can't see it, but we're both decked out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pirate today. and Oh, right. You, know. you have a great, you know, imagination. I think that's, that's <laughs> um, uh, when, you, when I first started in radio, the sales team would would describe radio as theater of the mind. <laughs> anyway, no. In all seriousness, are you a Halloween guy or no? No, not at all. No, me neither. I go to sleep early on Halloween, so that the next day, um, when I wake up, it's the first day of November, and then I get all like, I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow um did not expect that no um thanksgiving i mean halloween we don't even have any kids come and trick-or-treat in our neighborhood mm-hmm. there's that seems to be kind of a dying tradition um but uh i have never heard anyone ever before say they couldn't wait to get through halloween so they could start anticipating thanksgiving <laughs> i love yeah. that yeah i'm pretty cheesy you know um <laughs> What's interesting is Halloween is actually my older brother's birthday. He was born on on Halloween. And um, I don't know. I I think that growing up, Halloween always trumped his actual birthday. No one actually really cared or we never really had a party for him. So I feel bad. Uh, But now as an adult, like he's absolutely all about that Halloween birthday party. And so he turns a big 4-0 this year. And he's already let everyone know, you know, we're going to have a big costume party. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear? I know. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I just fall asleep and be like, I I am the guy. I'm, co- I'm the, the perfect, you know, pillow ever. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> um. Anyway. Yes, I hope everybody has a happy Halloween if you like to, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff and celebrate. I, I definitely know that. The, <laughs> if you like that kind of yeah. having fun thing. Yeah, exactly. If but, you not, know, the, look the, forward to Thanksgiving. The LGBTQ community absolutely uh, embraces Halloween in a lot of ways because it gives us that opportunity to, you know, fantasize and wear costumes. I don't know. We like wearing costumes, I guess. I think it's dressing up. Yeah, kind of the celebration of the outrageous and the that's ability right. to kind of go outside the norms. And... That's right. 
Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to us here on Tuesday. It's my favorite day of the week to produce the show, and that's because John's here, and I think we have great chemistry. It's Thanksgiving Tuesday. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And, you know, uh, the debate happened on Sunday, um, October 9th. And I couldn't wait till this day to sit and talk with John. And so instead of glazing over it or just, uh, you know, saying a couple things here or there, John is going to be our guest today. And we're going to discuss the debate and see what his thoughts are. Um, So, John, I hope you're okay with that. Oh, I didn't watch it. Is that a problem? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Well, uh, hold on one second. I'm having some technical difficulties, and I can't stand it when I can't hear myself. Here we go. go. Here we go. Can you hear? I can hear. All right. Great. Okay. Let's get today's program started. John Zipper is our special guest. He is the host of his week-to-week political roundtable talk that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show Fridays, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And so the first half of the show, we will discuss the debate and we'll talk about politics and the election and and all that good stuff. And then the second half of the show, we will check in with Jamila King about an article she wrote for Mike.com on one major word, or I should say theme, um, that was missing from the debate. So today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So John Zipperer, you are our guest. The debate, how did you feel? Who Uh, won? um, uh, This is going to be very conventional wisdom as as a response, just because Pretty much everybody's saying the same thing. You know, Hillary won. She had, of course, a higher bar because, you know, she's the one who knows things. His bar to clear was that he didn't come up and like explode in a flaming mass of whatever. Um, so people kind of said, oh, he did better than, well, he did the first time thing. Um, I think what people are, are looking at when they're looking at how Hillary Clinton did is that um, how she handled him. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff, and I'm really curious on what you think about this and, and certainly what our listeners think. Um, a lot of stuff about how he was very much kind of a bullying, menacing presence to her, you know, always lurking in the background, <laughs> always interrupting and, and such. And, and uh, people had said, you know, sometime, right after it, some people were saying, oh, they wished she had gone after him more during the, the debate. And uh, I, I think a, a pretty wise response is, she actually handled him the way a lot of people have hand, had to handle bullies for a long time. Yeah. Not giving him any more fuel for his rage um, and just saying, you know, just keep trying to turn it to things she wanted to talk about and, and being tough with him when, when necessary. But in other words, not make it a gorilla versus gorilla fight. Let him be the one who looks bad. And that's been one of the, the memes. There's been a lot of, there's been a whole uh, Twitter, I know you don't like Twitter, but there's been... <laughs> a whole Twitter meme on uh, exactly, you know, women saying, yeah, I've, <laughs> she was every woman who's ever had to, you know, listen to some bore in a, a boorish male in a board meeting or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, how she dealt with it. So yes, what, what, what that, did is, you that has been the constant um, theme, in my opinion, you know, throughout this election is wa- like painfully watching Hillary having to, you know, deal with all of the comments and the actions that, you know, I as a woman face all the time. And I, I used to think that it was just me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's crazy to see that happen to, um, in my opinion, one of the most quote unquote powerful women in our country. And if she becomes president, that that would be true. Um, as far as that statement goes, what were my thoughts? Uh, you know, I I found Hillary. I felt so bad that she had to even kind of deal with all this that it really has taken her um down into this this world where nothing it's like she can't even be she can't be too intelligent because then she'll be you know disconnected from the people who would vote for donald trump so she's got to bring herself down to their intellectual level I know that sounds so bad for those of you who might be Donald Trump um, <laughs> supporters listening, but I, I doubt that you're listening to me right now on the Progressive Voices Network. Uh, and, and so I found myself a little bit disappointed in Hillary Clinton, you know, in kind of like not really answering the questions uh, I felt like in the first half of the debate. Um, she moved from not, you know, delivering her ideas on policies um, and more of let me let me you know well my opponent here and kind of having to always go back to to remind people what a horrible you know unfit president he would be mm-hmm. um, because in my heart I knew that Hillary Clinton could take that question and you know break it down um, and and offer some real comprehensive ideas, policies, things that we could do. It wasn't until the second half of the debate that I really felt like she was answering the question. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I felt. Like, and, and did I feel that Donald Trump um, won? No, I thought it was super creepy when he started the debate all, you know, his tone was all like this. And I was like, you don't sound calm. You just sound like a perverted pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I would direct... Uh, listeners' attention to uh, the New York Times today. Uh, David Brooks, the conservative columnist and, and certainly uh, one of the last people to who will ever vote for Donald Trump, um, basically takes him apart psychologically. Psycholo- psychology is one of uh, David Brooks's areas of love, um, but he's he's just talking about how uh, you know the type of person he is, how that's reflected in uh, you know basically his essential loneliness and inability to connect with anybody, including when an African-American man stands up and asks you a question and you start going off on inner city uh, crime or, and you know, a Muslim woman, perfect chance to, to hit it out of the ballpark by connecting and, and showing you're not, you know, whatever. And instead he responds to her question about, you know, the difficulty Muslims are facing in this country right now uh, with discrimination and, and the attitudes of, well, people like him. He, he goes on talking about how Muslims need to, uh, you know, report other Muslims who are doing mm-hmm. things wrong, which again, back to Twitter did lead to my favorite story of the week, which is that Muslims responded on Twitter with, have you heard of this, uh, uh, a whole series of things, hashtag Muslims report stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and including the most retweeted tweet of the night, professor Mustafa Bayomi, I hope I've not uh, massacred your name. He wrote quote, I'm a Muslim and I would like to report a crazy man threatening a woman <laughs> on a stage in Missouri. Unquote. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought that, you know, that was definitely also, he was creepy to me the the entire time. But the the thing is, what's even more creepy is he reminds me of so many guys in this country. And I say guys, but also I kind of also know 
the woman who stands behind a guy like that. And it's this like complacency of accepting, you know, the horrible behavior because they're a man or because they have money or because of the color of their skin or in this case, a horrible comb over (laughs) and it's acceptable. But, um, that's the scary part is to know that there are a lot of people who absolutely feel threatened and afraid of people of color because of the whole, you know, <laughs> I'm going to call it archaic thinking that people of color are going to take all of the jobs and all of a sudden, you know, white people will be left with washing our clothes or something like that. Um, <laughs> I read an, a, a journal once on affirmative action, and that was one of the, the thoughts or the theories. And if you go back and read why, the, you know, certain shooters during the, the, the 80s and the 90s, um, they'll, they have justification in which they say, I shot up a group of people of color because they're taking all of our jobs. Um, but anyway, and, and this whole like fear of, you know, a woman becoming a president of the United States. And I'm, I'm always trying to go back to why people, and this includes, this includes women and people of color hate Hillary Clinton so much. I get the whole like, you know, she's take, taken money from big, large corporations, but so have every single president, you know, Including you know Barack what I mean? Obama, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole uh, 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 foreign, you know, deals or plans that people's opinions feel like she's corrupted and screwed over several Middle Eastern countries because of that. I'll never know what it's like to be <laughs> in the position of secretary of state and, and, and to have to deal with like military decisions like that. And so to wrap up my thought um, on, you know, just just trying to figure out why people dislike her so much and it's like the standard that women should never lie or something the whole emails thing she deleted thirty three thousand emails i think about my own emails and how many emails i've deleted and how much shit i have said in my own emails imagine if somebody were to go through and read your entire emails of course and all of a sudden you're that's that's who you are that's your character Right. And, and of course, this is all in, in the wake of, you know, 22 million emails deleted by the previous, the Bush administration. But, uh, you know, they, they weren't threatening the nationalist populist wave in this country. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see how people are citing or justifying their yeah. own decision. And, and it really, it's really making me feel like I can't be friends with <laughs> With somebody, I, I know we have to break soon, but there have there you, there have been stories now. You, you've seen them about how this, people are losing friends because of this 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 whole election and and you know, you know people posting too many things on politics and people friends. getting vociferous about uh, you know who can vote for what. Friends so. on Facebook. Okay, yeah. let's take a quick break. When we come back, you and I will kind of go through the, the the questions that were asked. We'll talk about the moderators. And again, where do these two stand on certain issues that we care about? So don't go away. John Zipper and I, we will be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. 
Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. In studio with us is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, and he is our guest today. And oh. I guess not guest, but you know what I mean. He's the the... The subject, the the focus, (laughs) and that is because John also hosts his own show that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Fridays, which is called Week to Week uh, Political Roundtable Talk. And so, this is your world. You love talking about these things, um, especially you know these debates. (laughs) It's the second one, and. I don't even uh, we so we've already had two presidential debates. Uh, the first one was absolutely disastrous. The second one, maybe they didn't scream at each other as much, but um, still, it, you know, a lot of the divisive, um, uh, I, I, you know, bullying is, is a great word you brought up by Donald Trump, by the way, and um, you know, just throwing shade at each other. Probably the nastiest uh, debate we've seen mm-hmm. at least yeah. on the presidential level. Um, and now we haven't even talked about the vice presidential debate, which was last oh. Tuesday. Um, did you stay awake during that or, you know, I didn't even tune in to the vice president um, debate, but I was reading things from Twitter and Facebook, um, what people were saying. And that also did sound disastrous, you know, for both of them. It was not an exciting one. And I won't take too much time because by now. I think people are, moved on you know vice presidential debates almost never have anything you know the only one that really you really 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 wanted to watch was when sarah palin was in it just because you know it's (laughs) comedy night in america (laughs) you know it was open mic night for her um but uh it it what it probably did was it it helped 
uh, assures, you know, the hardcore Republican conservative base that, oh, okay, there's a there's one of us, Mike Pence, uh, on the ticket. Then this weekend was, I mean, could, has there been a more disastrous weekend for a presidential candidate than what Donald Trump had going into it with the release of that tape, the videotape and the audio of uh, him making those comments about women? The incredible firestorm and people have been talking basically about his imploding campaign ever since. You know, you finally had a, a you're starting to see Republicans at the national level uh, unendorsing him, mm-hmm. you know, saying, you know, people who have actually been with him, you know, they, they, they were they could they could be there when he was, you know, insulting uh, African-Americans, uh, uh, you know, people who have disabilities and, and Hispanics and, and everyone else. But, you know, no, not women, not white women, <laughs> to be frank. Right. You know, but nonetheless, that floodgate opened. So yesterday morning, uh, Monday morning, there was this uh, conference call that was supposed to be private. It was, you know, House Speaker Paul Ryan talking to his House Republicans basically about, oh, my God, what the heck do we do? And that was when he announced that he's uh, he's not unendorsing Donald Trump, but he will not appear for him with him in, in campaigns and he will not uh, um, uh, defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, and more important, what he did was he told all these Republican House members, basically every man or woman for themselves, meaning do whatever you need to do as far as defending or getting running away from Trump to get reelected. Because something's happening now that was a pipe dream for Democrats for a long time, which is that the U.S. House of Representatives is actually in play, you know, control of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're seeing the Republicans in kind of meltdown status and it's obviously fun for Democrats to watch, but I think I take Hillary Clinton at her word when she says this is not a good thing to have you know one of the major parties melt down. You need you know even she said during during the debate you know other Republican presidential candidates I've not uh, uh, doubted their basic fitness to hold the office. Mm-hmm. I disagreed with what they were going to do, their policies and stuff, things they've said That's and right. such. But to actually, you know, she says Donald Trump's completely different from that. Um, and uh, one last thing, I'll stop kind of uh, filibustering here. We're, another thing that, you know, Republican Party kind of imploding nationally. Uh, Hillary Clinton now, uh, the latest polls that, that are not post the debate, but take into account the, uh, the initial day or so of the, uh, the release of that tape, uh, show her ahead by 14 points when there's just the two of them throw in uh, Jill Stein and uh, uh, Gary Johnson, and she's still ahead by double digits, 11 mm-hmm. points. So what that all means is that down-ballot Republicans are scared, as they should be in such a situation. Any party would be, where you just realize not only is your national party and national candidate not able to help you, he's going to hurt you in every way. Mm-hmm. Because whether you're a supporter or defender, basically most of the media coverage you're going to get between here and November 8th is a reporter sticking their microphone in your head, in your head, in your face, <laughs> and asking you to comment on what Donald Trump has just said. And right. it's a no-win situation. If you support it, you upset, you know, people who know how to read. If you defend it, um, you, I mean, if you, if you support it, if you, if you criticize it, if you run away from it, you obviously are going to, def, you know, upset his base, which, by the way, you desperately need or you're going to lose your seat. So it's, it's a very interesting time. And a very volatile time. Tell me about it. I mean, 
it really does feel like a reality, you know, series or something like this, you know, maybe like the uh, <laughs> political version of the Kardashians. Yeah. When, because I, you know, Anderson Cooper brought up the the question about that leak tape of what Donald Trump calls locker room talk of, um, you know, assaulting women and or getting whatever you want. If you're rich, you know, grab them by the blog. Yes, that word. He We're uses. not even saying it on the Internet. We're not going to say it on the Internet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he responds to that by calling it locker room talk and then immediately brings in Bill Clinton. Yeah. I mean, Talk about just how much of a diversion that is from, you know, actually having to answer to his behavior, his, his you know, his, how he is such a gross dude. But also <laughs> on the other side of it, it that, that that's not even it, it like the a character of a president, for example, would not be to let me just find somebody to blame this on. What happened there? That's a good point. I mean, in his mind. It was a coup to have those women, you know, he did a, a impromptu uh, Facebook live press conference sort of ish um, it before just before the debate, probably hoping to throw Hillary Clinton off her her uh, her pace and, and, you know, get her rattled. Um, and I, I guess the story is that he initially wanted those women to be sitting in the in the family box there during the program. So they'd be like right next to you know, the Clintons. So first of all really classy. Second of all, um, it kind of tells you everything you need to know as far as exactly what type of person he is, how he deals with something when he's obviously feeling very threatened. So he's lashing out and he made this clear in the first debate. Oh, I'm such a good person. I was able to control myself from bringing up Bill Clinton, thereby bringing up Bill Clinton. You know, <laughs> I, 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 he doesn't seem to, okay. So the message from some of his supporters, his surrogates, his flunkies, has been uh, this shows he's highlighting the hypocrisy of the Democrats. And, you know, Bill Clinton got away with it. Hillary Clinton enabled him or whatever. Whether or not Melania enables him, of course, they, they ignore. Um, the thing is, I don't think Democrats are sitting around saying, yeah, what Bill Clinton did was correct. Mm -hmm. They generally consider that a problematic thing, and they, they condemn it, and they did at the time. Um, he, he He's in a maelstrom of trying desperately to feed that, that hunger of his hardcore supporters for red meat. Mm -hmm. and, and red meat to them is not an intelligent discussion of uh, 13 policy proposals for uh, reforming Obamacare. It's everything bad about these horrible people that I'm blaming for everything that's happened to me, everything that's happened to my family, everything that's happened to, you know, my town that used to have a good factory where I could get a job. And now, you know, there are immigrants living in my town. You know, it's, he's, he's just, I mean, talk about throwing shade. I mean, he was throwing everything mm -hmm. out there just to say, she's worse than I am. Mm -hmm. And of course, Democrats can calm down because most people watching that know mm -hmm. that's not the case. His supporters think that that is the case. But, and this is what some of the fallout after the, the debate was where analysts were looking at this thing. It didn't move the needle. You know, if he performed better than he expected to, all he did was confirm his base supporting for him. Well, they were going to vote for him anyway. Mm -hmm. He probably didn't grab any of those, you know, suburban Republicans, the, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia suburban mom sort of vote. 
Uh, certainly he's not attracting Republican women right now. Um, and she has continued to roll, you know, she, she didn't get like a giant leap out of this, but what it did is it, or what it did not do was dent her momentum, uh, from that she's had now pretty strongly since the first debate. Can I ask you something? Yeah. So this was the first presidential debate moderated by an out gay man, Anderson Cooper, who co-moderated it with uh, Martha Raddatz. What did you think? How did you, how did you think they did? I think they were the best moderators. I mean, I mean, we've only had two. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, uh, you know, I think Anderson Cooper, I've always thought Anderson Cooper is one of the uh, best journalists, American journalists, um, for a major network here Mm -hmm. in the country. Um, I thought they did really well in moving things along when they needed to. Um, I thought it was funny that Donald Trump really felt like he had to call them out, you know, for, you know, bullying him or cutting him off on time, but giving Hillary, um, um, time, which I, I felt like they cut her off when they needed to as well. Um, and I also thought that I think that it was a great idea to take questions from the audience as well as from the Internet. So some of those questions, yeah, were from the moderators themselves, um, but they didn't show I didn't think that they showed, you know, bias or favoritism in any way. And they just kind of went straight at it, you know, just just ask the question, get in, and get out. Well, they also did follow up and try to keep them honest. And, you know, you didn't answer the question. But did you, you know, did you, have you really done these things, Mr. Trump? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a, a good, I, I thought, I, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I, I thought they did a good job of both not rising the debate when he would complain about them. You know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't try to defend themselves. They just mm-hmm. kept going. Yeah. But at the same time, they tried to keep control of what was a very, very bizarre debate. It was bizarre. I could, you know, continue talking to you so much about this presidential election. Um, We'll continue talking about it, but we do have a guest coming up at the second half of the show. So we'll go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, Remind everyone again, this Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, you're airing your show. We'll be there. And the next week, of course, we're going to be talking about the next debate. So you want to be there. (laughs) All right. Don't go away. When we come back, Jamila King on race issues and relations, um, especially what was said during the debate. So don't miss it. Come right back. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. 
it's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself you can feel loved and you can feel welcomed by everybody and i think that that's the ambiance that we try to create and and that's the message that that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to maui is that you know we're not just an experience on maui we're an experience of maui when you think back years ago how closeted we used to be and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us in studio. And our next guest is the senior staff writer at Mike, in where she focuses on race, gender, and sexuality. She's also a formerly senior editor at Color Lines, um, and also associate, former, formerly uh, associate editor of Wiretap, um, but also is a current board member of Women Action and the Media, or WAM. Her work has appeared on Salon, MSNBC, The American Prospect, Al Jazeera, The Advocate, and the California Sunday Magazine. And she's here with us by phone, Jamila King. Jamila, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so I absolutely loved your article. It, it just hit it home for me because after that second debate, I was like wondering and pondering and I felt sick to my stomach. It was like both of these presidential candidates, Hillary uh, Clinton, as well as Donald Trump, you know, were grossly bringing up the African-American community without acknowledging the racial issues um, that we have here in this country, specifically regarding, you know, police brutality. Um, but, you know, yes, Donald Trump brought the fact that we need to when he connected the African-American community with needing to respect law enforcement. I mean, that made me want to almost kill myself. Um, right. Jamila, let's talk about your article. There's one crucial word that you didn't hear during Sunday's presidential town hall. That's the title of your article. Talk to us about what that word was. So that word is Ferguson. Um, the debate took place in St. Louis at Washington University in St. Louis, which is a eight-mile drive away from Ferguson. I thought it was so instructive um, about our current political moment, about you know how we do and don't talk about racial injustice in this country, that, you know, you had one of the largest and most chaotic urban uprisings of the modern era happen eight miles away from a presidential debate, um, and it just doesn't even get mentioned, right? And I, and I think that, you know, it was important for me to sort of put this on the radar because this is sort of the conversation that's happening outside of electoral politics, right? Like this, the conversation about who's going to be president and Donald Trump is its own reality television show at this point. But, you know, I think all across the country for many years, and I think especially you've seen that this year, you've got a lot of folks. You've got a lot of folks from the movement for black lives. You've got a lot of 
folks who are really unhappy with the state of things, um, who really are, you know, continuing the work that they've been doing for many years, in some cases decades, to actually get the political establishment to pay attention to black people. Um, and what you're seeing is that, you know, as many promises as we've seen throughout this election, whether it's been Bernie Sanders, you know, releasing his own economic justice platform, whether it's been, you know, black activists confronting Hillary Clinton um, or Donald Trump at his rallies, um, you know, th- these are often fleeting interests for them, right? And I think that we're at a moment in this country where we're tasked with really asking ourselves, are we ready to take this step and acknowledge not just racial injustice and that it happens, but actually work to fix it. Um, and, you know, the answers in the debate, they weren't there because the questions weren't asked. If, if you had been either one of the moderators or you had been one of the people in the audience who was allowed to ask a question, how would you have phrased the question that, you, you know, you could hope you would actually get some sort of an answer and that they wouldn't just immediately just turn it to attacking the other one? Yeah, I mean, I would ask them what Ferguson means to them. Um, you know, I think it's, it's sort of Ferguson has become this, um, this phrase in our, in our cultural imagination, and mm-hmm. it, it stands for so many things. And I think, you know, I kind of get a sense of what I would hear from both of them. You'd hear a lot about law and order from Donald Trump. You, you know, you would hear a lot about Hillary Clinton talking about what she's done over her, you know, 40-year career um, to address the interests of black people. But, you know, I, I really would have liked them to drill down on what that moment meant for them as politicians and what can we do on a federal level? What can an executive do on a federal level to institute policies that, you know, in many cases um, are felt on the local level, right? Like we don't talk much about down ballot races. We don't talk much about these very impactful positions um, that wind up having a tremendous impact on our lives. And, you know, I think one of the most crucial elements of this uh, presidency, the next presidency, will be who, you know, decides Supreme Court justices. Um, I think that'll be, mm. you know, who makes those decisions um, about criminal justice, about the death penalty, about, you know, the power of, of police. Um, it's going to be huge. And so I would have liked to have heard them answer directly what Ferguson meant to them. Mm-hmm. Well, Donald Trump did say he would uh, vote, you know, he would appoint uh, Justice Scalia, Antonin Scalia type justices. So that would solve the problem. Um, <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned down ballot races, which is great, because that's been kind of a something uh, Michelle and I have talked about over time, you know, the, the need, even if you don't care about the top of the ticket, all these right. you know, other things matter. Um, are you seeing Ferguson and, and some of these other horrible incidents that we've seen throughout, especially the last couple of years, are they showing up in any of these other you know, like debates between congressional candidates or Senate candidates or gubernatorial candidates, or is it kind of radio silence all across the political spectrum? So that's actually a really interesting question because I was just in Chicago, and Chicago is a place where yeah. um, Anita Alvarez, who was the former state's attorney there, was um, he lost her reelection bid in large part to the organizing of a lot of young activists, young like black activists in the city, who were very um, displeased with her track record on on criminalizing uh, Chicago's black communities, and so. Um, you know, I, I think you see it in, in that instance. It's interesting because I've been a part of some conversations and I've been talking to activists around the country, and there's this, you know, there's this idea that not only activists have, but ordinary people have, which is that, the, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are awful, and so I'm just going to stay home. I'm not, gonna, I'm not mm-hmm. even going to engage. And I think that, you know, one of the messages that I think a lot of um, sort of get-out-the-vote folks, get folks are trying to push is that, you know, this isn't really about who's president, right? Like, you have significant races that are happening. You have a Senate race in California, Kamala Harris and Loretta Sanchez, right? That, that 
it, it's it's huge, right? Like this, you need people to get out to the polls because what happens on a local level is far more significant than you know who is in office um, for the presidency. And so, you know, there are those conversations that are happening um, about you know down ballot races and how you know how folks can sort of maneuver around this intense dislike of our presidential candidates um, and still get folks to the polls to you know vote in elections that are very you know arguably way more important to their everyday lives um, and I think those conversations are really important yeah uh, moving kind of in a reverse from these two people who want to be the president to Barack Obama, who of course is in his final months as president, if you were doing an exit interview with him or or just evaluating how he's dealt with or not dealt with these issues, what would you say about that? You know, I, I would ask him, um, you know, what, is he still hopeful? Um, and, I, and I would ask them, him that because he's made some sort of allusions, I think, mm-hmm. um, in interviews that, you know, his candidacy... Um, sort of, in a weird way, paved the way for Donald Trump, right? And you, you, there's so many ways that um, that either holds up or it doesn't. But, you know, I, I think that when it comes to um, the intense amount of backlash that he, the racialized backlash that he's faced, yeah. um, you know, you don't see a Tea Party without President Obama. You don't see a Donald Trump without the Tea Party, right? And, um, you know, I... I I want to know kind of what's next. You know, I'm really interested in what he's going to, what his public persona is going to be um, after he leaves office, because he is this hugely transformational figure um, who's very contentious. And I think that he has, is actually genuinely concerned about the future of not only the democratic party, but you know, this broad coalition of people across the country who voted mm-hmm. him in office. Um, and that's sort of fallen apart. And so I, I really want to know what he thinks, uh, you know, will happen to that coalition and how we can sort of bring it together again. And, and he's Great still, point. and he's still young. I mean, he's got decades left in which he can, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I'm serious, you know, he, whether it's serving on the Supreme Court or starting a foundation or doing something, it'll be interesting to see what he chooses to focus on. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Michelle Miao and John Zipper were speaking with Jamila King, who's a senior staff writer at Mike, and we're discussing what was missing during the second debate um, that we saw, or if you missed it, it's okay. But it happened October 9th, <laughs> and, and that was, you know, although both uh, presidential candidates glazed over, you know, racial injustices or topics or issues, they really did not speak to the heart of what's going on here um, in this country. And so, Jamila, I mean, I think you make some incredibly valid points. Um, One of the things that I'm so concerned about is it's becoming clear for both presidential candidates, if elected, that there isn't much that they would do to address, you know, black lives that are being lost due to police violence, brutality, or uh, at least in police custody. I mean, every day it seems like we're getting headlines from someone who was shot or killed by police. And and in fact, you know, we know where Donald Trump stands, but with Hillary Clinton, you know, she's used the platform to talk to, um, you know, the black mothers who had lost their sons and, and or um, daughters, uh, but yet has softly then said, things along the lines of, you know, we need to continue funding uh, police uh, and and bring in training to understand diversity or cultural differences. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, You know, you can have all the training you want. Um, (laughs) I'd say that a lot of cities actually have pretty ambitious uh, programs that have been in place for years um, that have trained their officers and you haven't seen um, a significant 
decrease in uh, the level of tension and the amount of violence that's aimed towards communities of color. Um, you know, what I will say also is I think one really huge challenge for whoever is elected is going to be actually, you know, doing lawmaking, right? Um, and I think Hillary is promising in that she's incredibly shrewd, she's incredibly capable. And what we need are sort of broad reimaginations of so many public offices and uh, programs. And I think we need a, a massive investment in communities of color um, that you sort of saw with Obama. He's tried this in a few different ways, but he sort of wasn't able to do it because he's a black man. Um, I think that Hillary Clinton, because she's a white woman, may actually have a little bit more success mm. in uh, sort of instituting some of these programs, right? Whether they be, you know, economic um, jobs programs, whether they're, you know, tax breaks, whatever they are, I think that you'll see that Hillary Clinton having the access that she has um, may be able to do that a little bit more successfully. And also because, you know, the Obama administration has laid the groundwork, um, you know, but in terms of, of, you know, what reforms, what police reforms will help, um, you know, the call is very simple. Black Lives Matter. Um, and until that fundamental principle is etched into the heart and soul of every person in this country, um, you know, I, I don't think that much will change. Um, but that process of making that change is, is hugely important. That's uh, I'm going to I'm sad that we had to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, I want to pick right up on that in that, you know, if things don't change what then will happen to not just black lives, but also the movement. So don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our fascinating conversation with Jamila King. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. 
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And our special guest on the phone is Jamila King. And we're talking about her article um, featured at Mike.com. There's one crucial word you didn't hear during Sunday's presidential town hall. Um, Jamila, we, we went to break right when you hit a, a very, very important point, And that is not much might change if any of these two presidential candidates are elected when it comes to black lives and police um, injustice, or I should say violence and brutality. Does that make you feel completely helpless? Like what, you know, it's like both of these uh, presidential candidates keep talking about the African-American community and kind of desperately seeking their vote. Um, like, you know, I'm the better white person for you and I'm Asian. So I, I can't, you know, how, however I say I vote doesn't matter because, uh, you know, the, 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 the real fact here is that none of them are addressing that issue you're talking about. So what happens if they both are elected and nothing happens? What do we do? We do what we've always done, right? And to me, that's heartening. Um, radical movements for change do not live and die by us in the White House. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that this is a moment for us to organize and to um, teach one another and to actually dream and talk about what we want to see as a country. Um, I continue, you know, this really long, perilous fight that we've all sort of been engaged in for justice. And that sounds like so cliche and so cheesy in many ways, but it's also true, right? Like, I think that um, President Obama at one point, very early on in his presidency, was really clear in saying, you know, organizers are going to have to push me, right? And um, he said that sort of, I think, in good faith, and, and organizers have pushed him, um, and organizers have uh, not in, endorsed his, his agenda as, as broadly as he might have imagined, and that's, that's been difficult for him and really painful. And so I'd imagine it's going to be difficult for whoever is next in, White House, in the White House. But, you know, throughout history, right, when you think about some of the most, ra- like, maybe not radical, but some of the most important reforms we made as a country when you think about the civil rights movement, you still had young activists in in Greensboro, North Carolina, in Memphis, Tennessee, um, you know, staging sit-ins at local restaurants and, and, and having freedom rights, even though you had Kennedy in the White House, even though you had Bob Kennedy as the Attorney General, you know, like, I, I think that these are these are models, right? Like, I, I don't think that this work ever stops. I think that, you know, the ho- democracy is a tough process, and this is part of us you know, illustrating our power in this democratic process. I think that's all good to point. It does kind of lead to, you know, not just JFK. I mean, I think JFK, maybe his policy, his ideas grew in this, but, you know, Barack Obama certainly was committed to, to presumably the same general goals, but is there a limit to how much the president can do um, and, if so, within the restraints of what a president, you know, I mean, every president who's gotten in there, you know, when they're interviewed years later, they're always like, yeah, I got in there and I found out I can't really <laughs> get done what I right. want. You know, I can't tell this agency to do this and I can't get this economic plan through without, you know, it being watered down or whatever. Um, and in rare occurrences, you have, you know, extraordinary things happen. But um, assuming even if it's, if you know, put your dream candidate in there right now. What what are what's a an actual or, or a series of actual things that the U.S. president could do, or 
maybe the focus really is more appropriately at the local level so that it's, you know, in places where you're voting for your sheriff, who are you putting in there? You're voting for your DA, your, your mayor, and such like that. So what do you think? Yeah, no, I, so I think that's exactly right. I think that the down ballot, the local stuff that people don't usually pay attention to are easily the most important things that are on the ballot. Um, when you think about who's your sheriff, who's your district attorney, um, who are your city council members, right? Like yeah. in San Francisco, right, you've got city council members who are who are basically changing the shape and the history and, and who is allowed to live and breathe in San Francisco, right? Like they are, they are passing policies that are allowing developers to come in or not allowing developers to come in, right? Those are incredibly important and powerful positions on the local level. Yeah. Um, I think on the federal level, right, you can have sort of a federal housing policy um, and you can have the president sort of... Uh, add some context to that or, or make major appointments. But when it comes to the actual change, that stuff is all on the local level, and that stuff is really, really important, um, and it's, it's often overlooked. Jamila, I had a question. I, you know, I had noticed this. Um, it, some, I guess, famous or, you know, black uh, activists, especially those who had uh, been a part of the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, have chosen to be silent on, you know, this presidential election. For example, Alicia Garza and uh, um, Patricia uh, Cullors is, I guess, had gotten arrested just recently for a protest. Um, do you kind of feel like there's this general sense that, yeah, like the focus is ne- not necessarily, at, at least for those who are pushing for Black Lives Matter um, on this presidential election, but that what you had said earlier, the, that real focus is going to move on whether, whether that's going to be a local uh, level and or state level of some changes that we need to push. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it, it's very brave um, of, you know, organizers and movement in this moment to say, you know, I'm not going to endorse a political candidate. And I think there are very strategic reasons for that. And I think that you've seen them, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen, you saw them on the stage in St. Louis. You there was, a few months ago, there was a, um, a DCCC leak where, you know, you had the Democratic Party um, basically saying, you know, when you are confronted by a Black Lives Matter activist, don't make any specific promises, you know, meet with, you know, more, no more than three or four people at a time. And it, it was really a, a move to contain, right? And, and I think that it's, it's a brave move on the part of Alicia and Patrice and the dozens and hundreds of activists around the country who are working um, in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, because, we, you know, we're not pawns. We're not political pawns. We're not here to, mm. um, right. you know, to just, you know, make you look good at a press conference or, <laughs> you know, point. give you an article that'll trend well for a week. Right? I'm glad like, you're saying that. Yeah. Systemic change, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's brave. And, and I, I think that it's, it's important, right, like to, to not... Um, be used in that way. It is. How do, how do you think that will translate to getting your supporters and supporters of this movement actually out to vote? Whether, whoever, the, the, you know, with, with or without, I mean, because obviously in order to get all those down ballot folks and such, or do you think there will be kind of a, a, a non-participation movement as, as align this? You know, that's a tough question. Um, I think it's going to depend on the city. I think it's going to mm-hmm. depend on how engaged folks are on the local level. I think with uh, one of the really powerful things about a movement like the Movement for Black Lives is you have a lot of um, space to, for folks who may not have necessarily been politicized before to, you know, engage in a process of political education and, and to be really involved in that way. Um, so, you know, it, it depends, I think, on, on where you are, if, if how tuned in you are to who is running for what. 
Um, but it's it's a it's a tricky thing, right? Like to say on the one hand, your political process is not important to me, but wait, <laughs> um, actually, right. we need to get to the polls because there's this district attorney that we have to get out of office. Like yeah. it's it's a really 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 tough position to be in, um, and you know I think we'll see in exit polls uh, how many folks come out and and what that looks like, but. Um, I'm hopeful that in, in cities across the country, folks do come out. Cities and suburbs is so important. Jamila, thank you so much for joining us here today and sharing your article. I really, really thought that it was one of the most important articles coming out of that debate. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. You can follow Jamila's work by heading to Mike.com. She's also available on Twitter, like everyone else. I'm the only one who hates Twitter. (laughs) Don't go away. We are going to... Actually, no, we're not going to take a quick break because the show is supposed to end in a few minutes. And so I might as well just uh, go ahead and finalize our thoughts, John, on today's show. Thank you so much for what you do and for breaking down your thoughts on the debate. Um, I know that it sounds tiring, But I think one of the most important things I want to say as a person of color who will be voting um, for this presidential election, I do feel like we should be absolutely paying attention to the, you know, on a local level, on a statewide level, and also continue to be politically involved. But when it comes to this presidential election, as an Asian American person, I am choosing to vote for Hillary Clinton uh, for a lot of reasons as a registered Democrat. But for my African American friends, I absolutely understand, you know, and that's what we wanted to demonstrate here with the show today, if they're on the fence and or maybe even possibly choosing, you know, or on this place where they don't know who to vote for, they're undecided, both of the candidates uh, are not speaking to them. I don't know if Hillary Clinton is listening, but, you know, maybe if if you have a better chance than Donald Trump, you really should address the, the, the situation. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I, and I, it, we, I, the, I guess my only other question for our guest would have been kind of, do you expect any of this to come up? during the remaining, whatever it is, 27 days or whatever of this campaign. Um, I suspect not. I think we're probably going to be in kind of a drip, drip, drip of new tapes from a Donald Trump and Donald Trump's attacks on, on, on the other side. So it's not going to be the most enlightening time. Um, I, You know, a weird thing happened this year in that the Republican primary campaign was one of the most ridiculous primaries and I, I'm not even saying I'm not saying this as an anti-republican statement or anything because I have lots of Republican friends who were so frustrated by it who you know really do like to talk about ideas and policies and such whether you agree with them or not that you know they were frustrated by it meanwhile on the republic on the democratic side excuse me they really did have good debates I mean they did talk policies mm-hmm. and if they had been asked a question they were asked about about you know Black Lives Matter and, and other uh, very fundamental issues facing the country, um, and they they dealt with it, you know, on the during this general election campaign, we're not getting any of that, mm-hmm. and and you're right, it's from both parties. I, I again, this is just my own view; it does not represent my or, the organization I work for. I'm going to be happily voting for Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. but um, I don't expect her to get in depth on anything over the next month right. that she doesn't have to, because she's making sure that she gets as many Republicans right now to vote for her. She's making sure she gets Democrats to turn out. And she, we know, is concerned about down-ballot stuff because she's done so much you know, work with uh, you know, people at different levels of, of mm-hmm. the government over the years. So, unfortunately, I don't think a lot will happen in the next no, month. No, I'm with you. Yeah, you have to remain involved. Right. Yeah, and you have to remain informed, and you have to be thinking about 
this from all angles, even after the election, because maybe you're the one who should be running for a city council seat mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe you're a police officer. Exactly. You know? you, everyone exactly. has a role here beyond even just right. you know, watching a reality show. And you could tell like what the tone was going to be coming into this presidential election by President Obama's address, um, you know, is before this all started and he couldn't get out of you know people you know putting him in a corner of do you support black lives or blue lives and so um yeah we'll see what happens but thank you so much and if you've got thoughts or ideas or comments please head to michellemeow.com make sure you tune in this friday for john zipper's week-to-week political roundtable talk at four o'clock pacific standard time for everything else you can head to michellemeow.com 